Hey, welcome inside episode number four of the Vipers Talk podcast presented by Air Max Media. I am your host, Justin Ayers, and to my right, I am joined by the co-host of the Vipers Talk podcast, Nick Lomax. How are we doing? Doing a lot better now that they're the Vipers are actually starting to click. We'll touch on that, but there's some promise. Still no win, though. So we have everything week three, Tampa Bay Vipers in this episode, and it's not pretty. They uh, they didn't come away with a win. They came close. They lost 34-27 to to the Houston Roughnecks, and we are going to get right into it with our week three game recap. All right, so right out of the gate, the starter for the Tampa Bay Vipers uh, was not Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray is still injured, so uh, Taylor Cornelius, a.k.a. Corndog, Corndog was our starter this week. Yeah, which was not a very uh, pleasant thing for the fans. Everyone is still rooting for Quentin Flowers to be the uh, starting quarterback. Everyone wants him to have a shot. Maybe after an 0-4 start, he will get it. But the starter was Corndog. Yeah, and we will talk about that. Uh, So right out of the gate, so Corndog was the starter. He led them on a six-play drive that resulted in a field goal to put the Vipers up 3-0 early. We're feeling good. We got points on the board. Uh, two possessions later on that first play of the Roughnecks drive, P.J. Walker, a.k.a. Phillip Walker, stepped up and delivered a wide-open pass to his, uh, his main receiver, Cam Phillips. If you remember, in Week 2, Cam Phillips had three touchdown, three receiving touchdowns, and we'll get to how many receiving touchdowns he had today. But that was an 84-yarder, and there's a couple things that happened on this play. Talk to me about what should have happened with our guy, cornerback, and Thula Kelly. So the thing about... PJ is that he's a little bit of a dual threat quarterback. He's not the most mobile quarterback, but he can run and he will run, and that's what really did the uh, did the damage. So the cornerback was covering the receiver um, Phillips. Phillips on pretty much what looked like a post, and uh, PJ moved up in the pocket in the corner bit and came down hard to try and stop him from running because he had a wide open lane, but he did it too early, and PJ just lobbed a ball right up to him, wide open receiver, and just took it to the house. So, 84 yards. Yeah, that was pretty rough. If that receiver could have stayed on there, he probably would have just ran the ball for a first down before someone got to him, but he bit a little too early. And Rough day for Vipers cornerback Anthula Kelly. We have a lot on him uh, in this recap. The Roughnecks went for three, and that attempt was good in the back of the end zone to put them up 9-3. to three. At that point, Vipers head coach Mark Tressman, he made the switch, he took Corndog out, and he put in the USF guy, the hometown kid, Quentin Flowers. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. The the loud cheers erupted when Quentin came in there. So Flowers on the second series leads, um, and the second series end leads the drive downfield on a third and six on their own 20, on their own 38. Flowers connected with Jalen Tolliver for a 23-yard gain. Awesome play. He stepped up and right down the sideline. Uh, a few plays later, on a second and ten on the Houston 39, uh, Flowers backpedaled to his own 45, threw off his back foot, connected with Davion Smith for a 25-yard completion. Smith was rocked as he made the catch, and an unnecessary roughness penalty was thrown, um, and it set up a first and goal from the Houston seven. So that was that was a huge play, and as soon as that happened, you pointed out just like the back foot, just the, the accuracy down the field. Yeah, it was a scary throw. Normally when you see a guy, especially a passer like Quentin Flowers, who's not as accurate as like your typical pocket passer, that's a scary play. But is those two throws that we just talked about were beautiful throws right on the money, right where only the receiver could get them, and uh, that's what set them up beautifully for this, uh, for this drive. At that point, Flowers then ran it in for a beautiful touchdown. He did a little hezzy hay with a little head fake, 
juked the receiver off of him, ran it in for the touchdown. Tressman played it conservative at that point. He uh, only opted to go for the one-point um, conversion, and then he completed it to put them up 10-9. to On the next play, P.J. Walker and the Roughnecks carved up the Vipers' run defense, and at that point, you know, up until that point, I had been saying, you know what, this Vipers' uh, run defense is holding strong, they're doing their job, and the Roughnecks just carved them up. Yeah. This game just got a little out of hand. It really kind of exposed the, the Vipers' defense. I mean, it, it's not like we got exposed super bad. It's just a lot of a lot of stuff we need to clean up. and a lot, a lot, Yeah, a lot of things we need to work our on. Our size was showing on the defensive side. Well, if you remember, as soon as the game started, they're talking about defensive coordinator Jerry Glanville wanted a very small, athletic, fast defense. And up until that point, we were like, okay, cool. It's actually working. And, and it's nice because they gang tackle a lot. Yes. There's always a ton of green helmets to the ball. They swarm to the ball. They do that amazing. But they got to get the guy first. And with a uh, defensive line that's a lot smaller, it's hard to stop the run. So moving ahead on the Vipers' eight-yard line, a bad snap over the head of P.J. Walker, forced Walker mm -hmm. to scramble, pick the ball up, and then he ran a U-route to the back to the right-hand side of the end zone to the pylon, and at that point, all the Vipers corners were locked onto their defenders. They were not paying attention to P.J. Walker, who basically just trotted right in for a wide-open touchdown. Well, see, that one's not even on the corners. That's because if the corners come off, he's going to just dump it off to him before he gets to the line. But that the, uh, the outside linebacker took kind of a, a bad angle, and P.J. Walker just burned him. And, it, yeah, turned a broken play into something beautiful. The Roughnecks went for three again. They're playing it aggressive. They were unsuccessful. 15-10 Houston on top at that point. The Vipers then stuck with Quentin Flowers at quarterback, who got a quick three and out. He threw two straight incompletions. And I think that was the last we ever saw of Quentin Flowers in this game, Nick. Yeah, he did not get to play in the second half. That was it. Like you lead him on a touchdown, you do some, you make some awesome back, uh, back of the shoulder throws. Nothing. So next rough next possession, they march down the field. Cornerback Anthula Kelly, remember that name? We were talking about him a lot. He got burnt on a short pass, which the rough next turned into a 26 yard gain. They then kicked a field goal to make it 18-10 Houston. So Anthula Kelly's not having a great game. I feel like every time we do one of these, we have like one guy on defense who consistently just messes up and has not like. Everybody needs to have a great game, and then we have one guy that just has a historically bad game. Yeah, <clears throat> the only problem with him is it just—it seems like he really didn't get much help from, from like the uh, the safety the role from the safety or from the defensive coordinator. I really think they should have helped because he had—he was guarding Phillips. Yeah. So that's not an easy job. So I think they should have pulled New England and double covered him, had your whatever corner uh, uh, Kelly is, and then put the safety over top. We have very good safeties. So could have helped them out a little bit more there to kind of ease the pain so that way we didn't get destroyed, but it's not what happened. They had too much trust in Kelly. I, for, I'm not sure why. So next, uh, we have Corndog back in at quarterback, of course. Corndog is actually doing some good stuff. He's completing passes. He was supposed to over the middle, wide open passes in the middle of the field, led the Vipers down the field with ease. He then got them to the one-yard line where a QB sneak by Corndog made it 18-16 to 16 Vipers. Vipers then went for two, and Corndog completed it, so we're tied up at 18-all. So Corndog making some very accurate throws in the middle of the field. They've got some big wide receivers. Dan Williams is like 6'2", 220. So a lot of guys with a lot of size makes it probably a lot easier for, uh, for Taylor Cornelius. Yeah. 
So it's halftime at that point. So uh, third quarter, the next rough next possession on a third and one from their own 29, P.J. Walker throws a deep pass downfield to former NFL player Sammy Coates. Again, cornerback Anthula Kelly makes the mistake and gets called for a pass interference. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting choked up over there. Just I am. Anthula Kelly. This, uh, the, uh, the cornerback play in this league uh, really gets you choked up. No, it, Kelly just got called. Not making the uh, not making an attempt at the ball, and that's what really uh, really messed us up. He just runs into his heavers. He, he not a lot of uh, not a lot of awareness. So that play it went from the Roughnecks twenty nine to the Vipers thirty five, which good lord, um, Walker would eventually throw a touchdown to Cam Phillips again, and they got the two pointer to make it twenty six to eighteen. Houston, Corn Dog stays in. Corn Dog is still in at quarterback. Which is- Kind of weird. We're not going quarterback by committee in the second half. Trustman wants a quarterback by committee uh, until he doesn't, and then at that point he wants to stick with one. So it's very hard to gauge what Trustman's thinking. But Corn Dog uh, made some impressive throws. He had a 24-yarder to Jalen Tolliver, and then a 20-yarder to my guy Dan Williams for the touchdown. And that Dan Williams touchdown was pretty right along the sidelines. He did a little hezy hay there. Um, and I want this is my favorite thing about this is that they did the uh, the campfire celebration around the ball where they all sit in a circle and they're yes. all like pretending the ball is the fire. They've been saving this up for the first two weeks. They've been, probably been practicing a lot of time to practice this move, and then a defender from the Roughnecks comes up and snatches the ball out of the middle, and uh, just that just took all the just took all the fun out of that. Um, a two point attempt was no good, so it's twenty six to twenty four. Houston still on top. Moving ahead a little bit, Houston has a three and out. The Vipers get the ball back, and they get a 43-yarder from former Dolphins kicker Andrew Franks, 27-26 Vipers. So we got the lead back. You know, we're doing some things. Real good game, a lot of lead changes. Feeling pretty good to be a Vipers fan right now. Hang on a second, because a few plays later, P.J. Walker to Phillips again for his third touchdown of the game, uh, 32-27. Oh, but before that, to set that drive up, Anthula Kelly was called for another pass interference, that moved the ball from the Houston 45 to the Tampa 25. So that pass interference set up the touchdown from Walker to Phillips again. And Thula Kelly, come on. Yeah, not a good game for him. There's not much. There's not much else to say. It's he's just playing the receiver's eyes. Right. He's just running stride for stride. They throw the ball up, and he just looks at him. He's like, "All right, time to just throw my hands up." <laughs> It was yeah. I, I don't. Uh, I hope Anthony Kelly gets better. It's whenever you're watching this game uh, and you're like, okay, there's a pass interference. It's 23. Oh, that's Kelly again. You just you're looking for that number 23. And any time it came up on a long pass play, well, first of all, Walker was targeting his side of the field the entire game. Yeah. So I mean, it had the Kelly had did not have a great game. So it's 34 to 27, Houston. Um, all right. So here's here's something interesting. So the Vipers they get the ball back. There's a minute three, uh, 53 left on the clock. They're at the 50-yard line. Here's their play calling, and uh, we're going to talk about the, the play calling, how it switched from Tressman to the offensive coordinator in just a second. But the offensive coordinator to that point had been calling a good game, but we got to talk about this. So the last drive down the field, they're a minute 53 at the 50-yard line. Incomplete short, pla- incomplete short pass from Corndog. They then ran it for nine yards. All right. Not the worst idea. They, that's almost a first down. So you're thinking, all right, we're going to set some stuff up. They ran it again for two yards. They get the first down. They ran it again for three or for negative three yards. Yeah. So we have three consecutive running plays. The clock is running. Um, I guess they figure, if nothing else, oh, actually, at that point, why even go for a field goal? 
they have to get a touchdown at that point. No, yeah, you have to get a touchdown. I think they were just trying to uh, um, keep uh, Corn Dog settled, and I think they were just trying to catch him off guard with all these runs, honestly. And then the uh, Roughnecks kind of bit onto what they were they were doing. They're like, all right, it's three straight runs. He's gonna have to throw it eventually. The next play, Corn Dog threw the ball, picked off. That's that's the game. Yeah, he bad throw, bad decision. Um, Corn Dog, he's good until he gets under pressure in the red zone, and then it's just downhill. <sighs> Curious decision not to go to Quentin Flowers at that point. See, and that's that's where I think the quarterback by committee would work in this situation. Just uh, Flowers. In the red zone, just because mm-hmm. of his scrambling ability, because Corndog cannot find a receiver in the red zone. He's had uh, two four and outs in the red zone. Um, he did it last week, and he did it this week. And then, yeah, this there's a pick right at the side. It was just, it was, it hurt so much to watch that play because you knew the Vipers were this close. I think at that point they were get inching closer to the to the uh, to the end zone, but just did not come up with it. And that's how the score would stay. Um, Nick. Let's, uh, all right, so that was our week three game recap. So hit me with a couple uh, a couple stats. So <clears throat> let's see. We had, we'll go with the start with the QB stat lines. Taylor, Corndog, Cornelius, 16 31, 193 yards, one touchdown, one brutal pick. And then Quentin Flowers, four for six, 51 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but he also ran one in. Uh, he was six attempts for 29 yards rushing. And that one touchdown. And that one touchdown. Right. Which was not bad. And then receiving, Jalen Tolliver had a day, eight catches, 104 yards, unfortunately no touchdowns. Dan Williams had two catches, 35 yards, and a touchdown. So, wasn't the worst day, wasn't the best day. Pretty pretty average, even though we put a lot of points up. Right. Um, as for the Roughnecks, <clears throat> P.J. Walker had a fantastic day under center, 24 for 36 for 306 yards, three touchdowns, all to, uh, to Cam Phillips. He didn't throw a single interception. Uh... P.J. also had uh, four rushing attempts for 34 yards and another touchdown. Um, also on the Roughneck side, on the running back, uh, James Butler had seven attempts for 72 yards. And Cam Phillips, we've talked about him this entire podcast. He is a problem. He had eight catches, 194 yards, three touchdowns. Add that on to the three touchdowns he had last week. He is setting the world on fire, and I don't think he'll be in the XFL for long because he'll probably get a call to the NFL. Yeah, hopefully he won't be there next year. But... Let's uh let's talk about let's do our overall thoughts and observations from this game. What are a couple things stood out that uh some overarching themes we noticed? Pass interference. And Thula Kelly. Yeah. We uh, gotta get better at that. We we gave up I, I think I have it here here. Vipers were killed by penalty yards. We had ninety nine penalty yards to Houston's thirty nine. Yeah, penalty yards are and that's hard. Especially with a defense that's getting burnt a lot. There's what was it? It was 66 yards worth of pass interference penalties, all from Kelly. All yeah. from Kelly. Lovely Kelly. We had an entire touchdown drive worth of penalty yards. Yes, that's, that's scary. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Um, one thing I picked up on, I said this earlier, is that our defensive coordinator Jerry Glanville, who looks like he's about 100 years old, uh, he said he wanted that smaller D line. He wanted that fast defense, and like we talked about, they do swarm, they do gang tackle, but when it comes to stopping guys up the middle. Yeah, you don't have any meat. You can't stop them. Can't stop them. We just like we're giving up like 12, 15 yard runs every time to the uh, to the Roughnecks, and then the Roughnecks running back had a day. Um, so yeah, also five lead changes. Yes, which was awesome. It did make the game very enjoyable. It was this, it was exciting. This was one of the better football games, college and pro, that I've seen in a while. 
I will admit, I really enjoyed this one. Not just because it was the Vipers. Yeah. But just because it was back and forth. Yes. You didn't know what was going to happen. And plus, you had Cam Phillips just scorching everyone. I mean, that guy. That guy is actually incredible. Also, P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker, I feel like, will be back in the NFL next year. Yeah, he is a viable He's too good for this league. Yeah. Um, we got to talk about our quarterback. Quentin Flowers was a difference maker when he was in the game. Houston had to game plan for this guy. I love – that's the one thing I liked about the mic'd up we had was that the uh, Roughnecks were, like, trying to game plan for Walker, and you can kind of get inside the mind of, like, all right, we got to stop this guy. And then Trestman did all the work for him because he just never put him back in. Well, yeah, so Trestman, I think, is on the Roughneck side. Double agent. Yeah, he is a double agent. I uh, I, I don't understand. So Flowers, um, when he got in, the whole stadium erupted. I, does USF play at Raymond James? I feel like I read somewhere that they played that they're... Uh... I think they play big games there, but I don't think they play all there. Okay. I'm not sure. But either way, he's played games in that stadium before. He's a huge fan favorite because he just came out of uh, USF not too long ago. I think right. he graduated 17? 17 or 18. Yeah, so he he was just there. Everyone in the area still knows him. So And he played very well there. Tampa really doesn't have many sports that are that popular except for like the Lightning. So USF is... Well known. Right. So everyone loves him. But so when he got into the second quarter, he led it was a seven play, fifty eight yard, go ahead touchdown drive. Um, and then eventually he ran that touchdown in. And then after going to three and out in the next series, he just was pulled. T- taken out, corn dog in, never never saw or heard from him again. Well, alright, so uh corn dog did lead a uh, pretty good drive. Yeah. And I think they just thought he was hot and wanted to stick with him to see what he had. And I think if you have a defense that can completely shut the other team down, you can win with Cornelius, but I don't think he's going to be able to win games. I think you're going to need Flowers out there just for some kind of spark. Well, what were, what were you telling me during the game? We were um, – Corndog would throw an incompletion or he'd throw a short pass and it would fall like five yards in front of the receiver. And I'm, I'm like, oh, come on, dude, what are you doing? Well, okay, so some of the reason why he's hovering around 50% is – um, we did try a lot of screen passes, and that screen pass would get blown up. So he would just throw it immediately into the dirt right at the receiver's feet or the running back's feet to avoid either a negative play or a chance of getting picked off. So a lot of this, a lot of his stats don't look super pretty, uh, but they are better than than what they are. And he's a lot of his misses are good misses too. They're either like a little too high, so the only person that could get it is either the receiver if he can get up a little more, or no one. So some of these are good throws that are incompletions. He does throw the prettiest incompletions. I've said that. Like yeah, he, he does. They're works of art. So most of the time, when he misses, he misses in the right place. It's just I don't think he's got what it takes to win. I think he's a little too conservative, and I think Quentin Flowers. I don't think he's as good of a passer. I just think his legs would be good enough to maybe do something. I mean, he scared the crap out of the other team's <clears throat> offensive or defensive coordinator and head coach. And the one thing we got to keep in mind is we were missing two very key guys, key guys on offense. So you Aaron have Aaron Murray. Well, not I'm not even counting Aaron Murray. I'm talking Truesdale, uh, Truesdale, and S.J. Green. Right. So once we get S.J. Green, could potentially be a Cam Phillips. Yeah. And he's a legend in the CFL. I can only imagine what he's going to do in this league. And then our starting tight end, who is one of the best tight ends in this uh, in this league, that's huge. So you get two big guys out there that can really take the top off of a defense and really uh, put in work. I think that's where Corndog is going to 
shine is once he gets some more weapons, but it also might help Flowers. If he's got a guy that's able to consistently get open... Mm -hmm. Easy completions. Yeah, and you got to think, a good tight end that's cutting across the middle or something is going to pull the backer, linebackers. Once you pull the, get those linebackers out of position, that's going to open up a lot more running lanes for Quentin Flowers. So, I, I just want to point out that a lot of... Uh, like, Corndog obviously threw a lot of completions, but some of these were just like, they hit the receiver in the hands and they drop them. Yeah, there's a, lot there's of a drops. few of them that hit the guys in the chest, and it's, it's frustrating, especially for a quarterback like... Uh, like Corndog. He's got to be so frustrated. He's already not a fan favorite. Now he's got receivers dropping balls. He's getting balls. booed when he comes out there just because he's not Flowers. Yeah, and he's not a bad quarterback. I think he can win games. I just think he's a little too conservative. Uh, one other thing to note is that Mark Tressman had to play calling duty over to the offensive coordinator, Jamie Elizondo, and that resulted in a faster, more fluid offense. Yeah, we put up points this week, and I hope he leaves it like that. We'll see, though. Uh, let's get to some news. So uh, this is something interesting. So this was, of course, the Vipers' home opener. Um, we had to wait until week three to get football back at Raymond James Stadium. So despite their 0-2 record, the Vipers managed the second largest turnout for a home opener thus far in the XFL. They had 18,117, which um, when the cameras are going around the stadium and they're looking at crowd shots, if crowds are, was going nuts, we had some super fans wearing weird crap. Like the the stadium was rocking despite this team being uh, not having a win. Um, so if nothing else, we have a, a great fan base. And this is something that I wanted to point out. So I'm big into following all of like the Tampa Bay Times beat reporters and all these people that are covering the team. They were consistently tweeting when they're at the game that like the team stores like pictures are just lines. The line for the team store at one point was two and a half sections long, and they could not sell out of the Fang Gang merchandise fast enough. Which is pretty impressive. We uh, actually went to a bar on Saturday night and did see some Tampa Bay Vipers gear out there, which is impressive. It's Yeah, I mean, we got people wearing the merch. Where they're excited about football being back in Tampa. Um, so I think this is a positive thing to build on. We're home next week against the D.C. Defenders. We'll get to that preview in just a second. But um, if nothing else, we can take away uh, that we have a great, solid fan base. Yeah, it's very promising. This was a very promising game. Gives you a little more hope than what we've seen. And hopefully, like, the fan base continues. Let's uh, One more news item. So this is regarding the quarterback controversy that exists. Uh, so Mark Tressman, after the game, said, quote, It's something everybody is going to ask. We decided to stick with the with the plan and keep Corndog in there. Actually, he said Taylor. Uh, and certainly, as we look back, that's part of getting uh, to work through this process. We will look back. You have to stand behind what you call and the plays that you run. So Tressman is, is sticking to his guns, uh, whether that be right or wrong. But um, he uh, he has the final say. And when, when Flowers comes out, that's, that's all him. Yeah. After the game, Quentin Flowers was asked if he believes if he should uh, be the Viper starter. And he was frustrated. He said, quote, everybody feels like they should be the starter. It's guys that should be playing, and you're limiting guys, not playing guys, so it's tough. But I know whenever these guys' numbers are called or when my number is called, we're going to be ready. So he's trying to stay positive. Yeah, he's giving the very uh, political answer with that one, and which is what he should do, trying to show that he's a leader. Um, he's already got the fans on his side. Hopefully, right. like, I don't know. I think they should give him a shot. I, I think Start so, Start him too. for one game and see what happens. Don't pull him. Well, that's well, the, well, unless Murray. He's, 
we've said this, that Aaron Murray is the best quarterback on this team. And that's true. If he's ready to go week week uh, four, you got to start him. And one thing is, Aaron Murray played the first week, which was the first game they had played. That's basically a preseason game to most guys. So the team's still kind of figure, figuring things out, meshing together. Um, I think they could go and beat the Guardians now, but only time will tell. But yeah, I would go with Murray if he's ready. Then Cornelius. Or, uh, I'd like to see more more flowers. flowers. Yeah, red zone two minute drill, or just work him into some packages. You can do a double forward pass now. Let's yeah. use it. Other teams are doing that. We had our first one. I think it was this week, um, this, over this weekend. So double forward pass. Just put him in there. Um, he's got the legs to make any kind of play work, even if the play breaks down. Uh, there was one play where the center snapped the ball over Flowers' head. He still caught it, but then he turned what usually, like if that was Corn Dog back there, he would probably just have to throw away it or take a sack or whatever. But Flowers ran out and turned it into, I think, an eight-yard eight, eight run, almost a first down. Yeah, no, it, he's he's very mobile, and he can turn a lot of a lot of plays into... Positive gains. Yeah, and it's just his passing. He doesn't read defenses very well, yeah. and he waits for wide-open receivers. So I think if they can work on that a little bit, he will be the clear-cut starter. Last up for you guys, we have the Week 4 preview. So Tampa Bay, well, they will stay at Raymond James Stadium. They'll be at home. They're going to take on the D.C. Defenders. That is Sunday, March 1st, 7 p.m., ESPN 2 if you're watching on TV. So D.C. Defenders, Week 3, They had we're coming into this game. They had not lost a game yet. They were crushing it, lighting the league on fire, and then they ended up losing 39-9 to the Los Angeles Wildcats. Yeah, no one saw that coming. The uh, defenders actually undefeated, usually ranked number one or two in power rankings. Go into L.A., who is the one team ranked just as bad as the Vipers. L.A. was 0-2 as well. Yeah, and a lot of power rankings had the Vipers uh, ahead of the Wildcats, and the Wildcats took it to them. So, D.C. Defenders quarterback Cardale Jones, who everybody was talking about, he was the darling of the XFL, he entered Week 3 leading the league in passing yards with 511, and in Week 3 he threw just 103 passing yards, and he threw four interceptions. No touchdowns. Yeah, and I think this is Cardale Jones' first loss. Going back to high school, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, he, um, he went to Ohio State. Ohio, Ohio State, yeah. And then and the NFL for that cup of coffee. That is, So that is the first time he's lost in probably seven years. Yeah, that's crazy. So the only defender's touchdown of week three came from running back Nick Brosette, who finished the day with 75 yards on the ground. And that was in garbage time. That was so, garbage time. They're yeah. just they punted one in there. And uh, so the Wildcats, I thought this was interesting. They entered week three 0-2. They had only scored four touchdowns, and they had given up eight in two weeks. And then today, 39 points on the board. Yeah, so gives us hope. We played the Roughnecks extremely well, had a shot in that game. If we could have cleaned that up a little bit, could have won that one. And this makes the defenders very beatable. Yes, we have, uh, we, have some, we have some things to work on, but I think we have some signs of life. I really like the wide receiving core. I think our running backs, top to bottom, are solid. I think once we figure out the quarterback situation, and if Anthula Kelly can stop doing pass interference, I think this team will be okay. I don't think we're not going to rip off seven straight wins. I'm sorry, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go undefeated the rest of the year. Hey, never say never. Never say never, but uh, this team will be okay, I think, once the year's over. Yeah, I think the team will be fine. I five hundred ish. Maybe we'll finish five hundred. We'll see how things go, and hopefully next year we can turn it around. Exactly. So that was episode four of Vipers Talk. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram 
at Vipers Talk. We do a great job. Nick crushes it on Instagram, uh, and I try to do my best with live tweeting during these games. Um, so be sure to give us a follow on there and tune in next Monday as we recap week four, Vipers and Defenders, and we will see you guys then.